Okay, 2023 is almost over, and I know many of you are busy crafting your New Year's resolutions for 2024. But tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You come out on January 1st gung-ho about reaching your goals, but within a matter of weeks or even days, you've already faltered and are ready to ditch your resolutions. Don't let that happen to you again this year. I have an early Christmas gift for you that will help you keep those resolutions. It's my Level Up Cheat Sheet. My Level Up Cheat Sheet will give you the mindset tools you need to achieve your goals and live your dream life. Drawn from several best-selling personal development books, I've taken out all the fluff and distilled it down to just the most important points you need to know to stay on course. Remember, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So become a goal-crushing machine in 2024 with my Level Up Cheat Sheet. It's free at levelupcheatsheet.com. That's levelupcheatsheet.com. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Liberty Alliance Network's What Can We Do? Today, I am pleased to be joined by Diego Rivera. Uh, Diego served in the U.S. Army under the 75th Ranger Regiment of the Army Special Operations Command, where he was deployed to Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. He earned his bachelor's degree in psychology, but he has been immersed in grassroots politics for the last 10 years, including working on Senate races for Rand Paul in 2016. Diego went on to become an election director and the top performing regional director at Young Americans for Liberty, and he joined Bring Our Troops Home in September of 2019, where he serves as the director of field operations. He applies his skills to recruit, train, and organize teams of activists through their political leadership school. Diego, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Diego Rivera. So yeah, there's a lot there. You have a pretty extensive and impressive resume with regards to um, political p- politics and political activism. So you're, you're not a spring chicken when it comes to these sort of things. So you've got a lot of, I think, I think probably a lot of insight and knowledge to impart. I brought you on today because I know you and I've communicated a bit about your, your work with Defend the Guard. And so I want to start there. Why don't you go ahead and tell me a bit more about Defend the Guard. I had a, a previous interview with a Montana state representative um, who uh, sponsored that legislation, and that was, you know, a good win uh, starting up there. But it wasn't extensively focused. That interview wasn't on the Defend the Guard. So I'd like to dive into that a little bit more. Why don't you start there and tell us more about that? Sure. So first, let me say <clears throat> Lee Deming is an absolute champion. I'll just say that right off the bat. Uh, Defend the Guard is very simple. You can look at it as one this is a bill that says follow the constitution are you being cute no i'm not let me explain uh defend the guard just says that without a formal declaration of war as prescribed by the constitution that congress has to formally declare war article one section eight and without that these states in which this bill will be filed in will refuse to send their national guard troops into overseas active combat it's that simple Congress has to do their job, declare war, or if not, the states will refuse to send their blood and treasure into overseas active combat. It's that simple. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to the old uh, Ron, Ron Paul days where one of the slogans was legalize the Constitution. 
because that's kind of what you're trying to do. Like, hey, we just got to go back to the Constitution and it sucks, right? <laughs> I mean, our political landscape is such that right now where we have to go back and write legislation to force our politicians to follow the politician or, or follow the Constitution. So what are what are your biggest hurdles right now in terms of, you know, getting this legislation going and off the ground and, and tell me, give me a, paint me a picture of the, the political landscape right now. It's multi-pronged, weak politicians, but that's, that's almost like the constant. <clears throat> Obviously, D.C. is a problem, but then also the biggest problem I see is because those are kind of constant, you know, Washington, D.C. is reckless. They're not going to do the right thing. Um, politicians are feckless and cowardly, except for I might carve out some exceptions with like Lee, but the grassroots, I don't think people realize how small the, the real grassroots activists are. That is the part. Whereas like if people realize how much their work would have an actual effect, uh, they would show up. Um, but the fact is, is that most people are not compelled to action. Most people are just, they retweet and they act like that's good enough. And yeah, that's the, that's the part that to me breaks my heart the most because politicians will politician and DC will forever be just, you know, hell on earth. But um, with people that say that they care about liberty, the Constitution, they want to put America first, you know, they want to bring the boys home. It's very disconcerting. And it's also leads me in a place where I don't believe them when they say all these things and then they don't show up for the fight. Right. Yeah, it's. It, it is a perpetual battle of mobilizing particularly people on our side who are not known to organize. We're just the, the leave us alone type. And as you said, like, yeah, I'll be happy to retweet this or be a good Facebook keyboard warrior. But when it comes to making phone calls, writing letters, waving signs, getting loud, getting vocal, what are what are people doing? you know, and they'll pat you on the back. Good job, Diego. Good job, Haley. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm happy to do it, but I want, we need everybody else to join with us. We can't just be the few putting ourselves out there and doing all the hard work and heavy lifting. We need people to get engaged and get involved to, you know, fight the fight with us. Yeah. Uh, the disingenuousness is, is the, is the part where, and, and here's the thing, I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't think that we're going to, it's not like, you know, we're not just going to get everybody, there's not going to be like a revival of people just being like, wow, I've really been a shitty activist or wow, I've <laughs> not been a serious person. Um, you know, like the Tom Woods version of like, you're not a serious person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's ways to break that funk in a lot of people. What, what would you, what are your, what do you think those ways are? So let me explain what the biggest mistakes are. So the biggest mistakes are when people retweet something. I'll give you a perfect example. We put out uh, a tweet, for example, of, let's say, the New Hampshire bill passing. And then we put out a sign up says, hey, make donations, hey, sign up to, to help. And so I remember it had something along the lines of like a <clears throat> hundred and something quote tweets and a thousand likes or something like that. This, these are just general numbers. It doesn't matter. It, but what matters here is the proportion. When I looked over the course of 24 hours, there was one donation of $10 that came in. And then there was one person that signed up to phone bank. Now, a couple of people messaged me and said, hey, what can I do about getting involved? 
And so that's the difference here is not, don't think that like, so let's say your retweets or your emails are going to land. If you want to compel people to action, it kind of, you kind of have to play with people's psychology and how that works is, is um, everybody knows that story about that girl in Brooklyn that was running around the neighborhood and there was someone chasing her and she kept calling for help. And this was in like some Brooklyn apartment complex. And so everybody just assumes somebody else has got it. And so to break that psychology, you almost have to call your friend and say, hey, I need you to get involved. Well, I can't. Well, imagine this is like a kind of war. If I can't show up for this war, and I know that we might lose a war by my failing to attend it, I at least have to provide somebody that can step in my place or in order to make up for it, give you five more people to ensure that we can win this war. People don't normally treat it like that. They don't treat it like as a burden that they're they're just leaving there. My absence will be felt. I'll do nothing to recompense for that. So they just kind of just assume somebody else has got it. And so by retweeting and liking it, you kind of just, <clears throat> it's an indulgence, I guess. And so there's not, you don't get a, a you, you get a sense of feeling like you're doing something. I'm spreading the message. But if you look at the numbers and how that turns out, if those were the statistics for any sort of action that you took in your life with that kind of result, you'd never, like if your car started the same amount or the same with the same proportionality to which those retweets compelled action, you'd never get in that car, right? You'd say it was broken. And so it's just calling a friend saying, I need you. I need you. Well, I can't do it. Well, give me two more friends to make up for the fact that you can't and expecting them to do that and saying, well, I can't. Well, why can't you? And then saying, well, you know, I don't have time to make calls with it. Well, that's not really how that works. If you can make 10 calls periodically, three or four times a day, and this could take up maybe 30 minutes of your time allotted, you can break this down to four times. You can break it down into 10 times. I just need 30 minutes of your time broken throughout the day. I guarantee you those same people are on Twitter. They're tweeting. They're on Facebook. They're on whatever but somehow they just can't. And then so it's kind of just checking your friend, throwing cold water in their face if they need it, and then personally asking them as opposed to leaving this up into the ether, which is just, I don't think produces good results. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, you hold somebody accountable and force them to, to act. Now with the, I like what you touched on before about, you know, of course we, we all, unfortunately we've all gotten used to, DC being just useless. I mean, they're, they're just, everybody in DC is just sucks. And so going back to the specifically your defend the guard legislation. And, and I think that's, I like what you're doing with that because this is specifically targeting state legislatures. You're trying to avoid the DC swamp entirely because they're not going to do anything meaningful to safeguard our liberties. And of course, both parties are the war party. So neither of them are going to be on board with this anyway, but our state legislatures are way more, well, I won't say way more, (laughs) somewhat more uh, responsive to grassroots pressure and doing the right thing. And they are more of your average Joes who might care about these issues. So, you know, was that a deliberate choice to target the state legislators? And why don't you tell me like how this kind of came about, whose idea this was and, you know, who came up with the game plan? Yeah, so first, bring her troops home. The concept was, and, and this was Dan's focus, this was when he brought us, we all went to D.C., a uh, bunch of combat vets and stuff like that, and we were coming from different organizations. At that point, I was coming from Yale, 
and I came down to DC to help Dan. And what we were going to do is we as veterans and different members of the community, we're going to go to our congressmen, go to our senators, go to the staffers. We're going to present the issues. We're going to tell them war is bad. Follow the Constitution, don't you know? And so we did that. And we sent 100 combat vets to go and do citizen lobbying. We did press up there, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. And then essentially that just, you know, I can remember in order to think this is reflective of how this went. I sat down in front of the chief staffer for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And I would say I went, quote, like full Scott Horton on them and just laid it out. Here's why I think it's horrible. And he just said, there's no political will for what you want. What are you going to do about it? In other words, tough shit. Excuse my right. friend. I don't want curse, but that's, that's fine. Know. Yeah. <laughs> tough is essentially what he what he said. And so from there, it was to go back to a model that focused more locally, which makes sense to a lot of people that hold liberty as a primary principle, uh, is to focus more locally. And there had been legislation that, you know, people like the 10th Amendment Center put out. Pat McGeehan was fighting that, that fight solo in West Virginia for years and still is <clears throat> relentlessly pushing that, that legislation. So that's where that. There was a major shift focus in that. Yeah. So tell me, like, because now you've gotten <laughs> some momentum and, and, you know, we're seeing you're seeing some wins. You know, you had a major, well, you know, a, a very solid victory in New Hampshire. And it got a lot of publicity, in, including on Fox News during the uh, their morning show, Fox and Friends, where they talked about the the defend the guard legislation passing the through the House of uh, Representatives and the New Hampshire legislature. And you've also had some, you know, victories of late, you know, the last year or two, maybe. So how did you go from startup to getting all this momentum? Can you walk us through the steps and, and how you, you know, kind of strong arm this into existence? Yeah, I and mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is pretty multi-pronged because there's no way to do this. It wasn't just educating people because there's a lot of people. I mean... If we thought that education worked, then we would all just be winning the debate at every, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody Not would be a libertarian by now. Everybody would. <laughs> I, I spent it. I spent ten years Facebook worrying uh, on about libertarianism and got nowhere. So anyway, I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, and that's just <laughs> that's that's essentially my point. Although education is important, it's just not enough. And sort of even if you could, no one believes the prophet from their own hometown. So even if you were right, people want to see what you're willing to do first. So one, it means that there's action involved. You have to be willing to fight for something in order for people to tell that you actually care about it. You can virtue signal or you can actually be right and educate people. There's just not, unless you're willing to show, look, this is my pound of flesh that I put into this. People don't really care. Like, even if you're right, why would they? And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what it is not whether you wish it were true that's just the reality the other part is is that you have to get people to move and that meant getting politicians to move and that means that you have to be willing to convince organizations that doubted you that said look this is a fight that you just look you understand what you're doing this is the states reasserting their rights on matters of foreign policy this is just unheard of we can't be doing this look it, where is it where are you finding this bill and getting people to just say everything from Put this bill forward and I will fight for you. I will drag it through the finish line for you, whether you want to or not. Just trust me enough to file this bill and assume the outcome fight for you. 
into where other circumstances where the Bill champions were champions. Like we've we've seen this in New Hampshire now with like uh, Tom Mannion, Mike Granger, Matt Stanisasso or Santanisasso, um, John Patuchik, um in Arizona, Wendy Rogers, uh, and Alex Colladin in and in other states where these people were willing to actually fight for it. But even before then, we had to start off with a small group of people. We had to move it forward, like in Montana, where Lee got it we got it through committee. Um then we went up to a House floor vote. It lost by eleven, but that was because all the Democrats voted against it. But there is this this sense of because once it gets introduced most people don't know what it is, so you have to educate the legislators. You have to educate the grassroots because they might not really understand what this is about. They have to understand the nuances. We have to apply the grassroots. That's where a lot of political objections seem to go by the wayside. A lot of people think that, for example, if I just know everything, well, Title 10 says this, or Title 32 says this, or actually, you know, in, in you know Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, that's where Congress has to formally declare war. And they think that if they they're educated enough that the politician will do that. Politicians are still, they're still creatures. They're still, the laws of physics apply to them and they will go to the path of least resistance. And the one thing that works, that's like, that is a silver bullet in a sense, for the most part, is that grassroots swelling and showing up. All of a sudden you just find that these politicians' objections seem to go by the wayside. So it's multi-pronged in that you have to, you have to create, you have to bring people in you have to educate them. You have to mobilize them. You have to get a politician to do the right thing, which that is hard enough. But there's some good ones that will at least file the bill or actually fight for the bill. And then you also have to start creating true believers. And as you start to get success, people will come on board. And not only will they come on board, they'll come to the they'll cut to the front of the line and make pretend they've been there the whole time. And that's fine with me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, pol- politically expeditious, doing the doing the right thing, maybe for the wrong reasons, somewhat. Friends, I know it's hard not to feel doom and gloom right now with all the negativity in the world. It seems no matter what we do or how bizarre clown world gets, the crazies at the bottom and psychos at the top keep gaining ground. It's hard not to feel demoralized, but I'm here to break you out of that black-pilled line of thinking. There is hope, and I'm here to give it to you. One of the best ways you can insulate yourself against the lunacy of the world is to find your people and link arms with them. That's what Liberty Alliance Network is all about. We know the status quo is unsustainable, so we need to take measures now to prepare ourselves for whatever is coming. And I've found the absolute best people to know in times such as these are all in Tom's school of life. Tom Woods is a New York Times bestselling author, libertarian podcaster with over 2,000 episodes, and father of five. Tom's School of Life offers practical liberty solutions for the problems that keep us up at night. These are action takers and doers who refuse to live and raise a family in clown world. Members are learning and collaborating with each other on projects big and small. Things like food co-ops, self-publishing books, side hustles, and just overall support and encouragement. Expert guests each month give webinars on the essential skills you're going to need to survive and thrive in this brave new world. So if you've been looking for your people, liberty-minded problem solvers and fighters, they're in Tom's School of Life. Join us at libertyalliancenetwork.com forward slash T-S-O-L for Tom's School of Life. That's libertyalliancenetwork.com slash T-S-O-L. See you in there. 
when you talk about getting the grassroots support and mobilized, and, and I know we both kind of just agreed that, yeah, the retweets and everything are, are pretty useless, but maybe the counterpoint to that is at least when you talk about educating people, at least it gets the word out there. It gets the name out there. It gets eyeballs on it and puts it in the collective consciousness like, oh, this is a thing. People are trying to do this. Now, yeah, your ratio of people that are going to act versus people that are going to retweet. I mean, it's it's ridiculously low. But at least now that's do, that is how you maybe get some some of this activism going because people now know this is a thing. People are doing this. Defend the guard. It's I didn't hear about this until I think maybe Lee Deming. And then now it's picked up even momentum since then. So I mean, I guess it, it it seems like the ROI is low, and it is, <laughs> but maybe it's not quite as low. There is still a role for all that, you know. Oh yeah, the- yeah. There's a role. I'm not. I'm not saying there's not a role. I'm mm-hmm. saying it's it's in. We have to triage this, and it's it's not. If I spent the next hour calling up my friends and convincing them, and if it took me 15 minutes on the phone with my friend, and let's say at the end of that hour, I got two people on board to go, let's say you know, decide to make phone calls or knock doors or do whatever, I have been more productive than I would be. And it's not that it doesn't serve a purpose. It's just that by it, it takes that next level of let me call my friend, let me make the personal ask, let me say, John, I need you to do this. Yeah, yeah, I need you to do this. Mm-hmm. Can you do this? Can you make can you give me five minutes this time? Give me 10 next time, but just give me five this time. That sort of ask that sort of countering objections, that sort of Getting a buy-in from people doesn't exist online where, like I say before, it's it's educational in the sense that you might have never heard of this, but it's not compelling in the sense that it that it draws action. It's just a wrong venue. So education matters, but it shouldn't replace action. Yeah. So is that is that what like one of the things, one of the tasks that I see you talking about is phone banking? Why don't you talk to me about what that is? Yeah, so all we're doing is we're coming together and we do normally we do some quick Zoom trainings. We will educate them on the different scenarios because again, these are happening in different states with different laws, with different narratives, different scenarios, politicians, bills, reactions to these bills. And so we want to get them educated on the scenario, on the ground, what it's looking like. We want to help them, educate them so that they're not just some, you know, mumbling, bumbling idiot on the phone that they can make their case, that they can compel. But also it's that it shows that overwhelming amount of support because politicians have a fear of large groups of angry voters. And so, like I said before, they're they're creatures. And so like the laws of physics, they will give in, they will go to the path of least resistance. And so when the generals, when Washington, when the establishment, when the bureaucratic process, the bureaucratic agencies, influence you know they peddle their influence on the politicians but the grassroots don't show up to counter that or to push it back in that direction then we fail and so that's so that's the, where the grassroots comes in yeah with the phone banking are you calling the politicians themselves yeah so you're not like it's not i guess it's different than like a, an election campaign where you're trying to call voters i guess so right with this you're trying to call both poli- exist both yeah exist. Yeah, we'll we'll call constituents and we'll call the the politicians mm-hmm. for the defend the guard. Yeah, it just it just matters on what we're trying to get accomplished. That's all. Yeah. So, w- why would you? What are you trying to say when you're calling constituents? Who are you targeting with that? And what are you trying to get them to do? 
Well, the constituents are the ones that vote. Yeah. And then when we're calling their office, we're trying to influence how they vote. Both will try to influence how they vote. It's just when we're targeting the one politician to for a specific vote, right? We're just letting them know this is how we feel about this particular issue. Where constituent calling, one, is more expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to make thousands of phone calls because it, it all depends. On, you know, so, for example, a good take rate on phones would be like 15%. You say you got a hold of 15% of the people you called. I sure did. Wow, that's pretty good. How many people did you compel? Well, we know normally one in 34 to 38, I think something along those lines, will be a new convert. So if we talk to 38 people in an hour, or let's say double that, you know, let's say we talk to 80 people or in two hours, and that means that two of them would be converts for our cause. So we would have to make hundreds of phone calls, talk to 80 people, get two votes. Whereas the take rate for calling a politician's office is near close to 100% because they have to answer the phone. So we can call their offices over and over from from all over and just put pressure. And that's that worked really well too, because you know to quote some of the staffers over in Arizona, uh, we think it would be political suicide if we voted against this. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. But both serve a purpose. It's just one you think of more for election time. Right, yeah. You know, something that we did in Florida back in 2021 is when we were trying to apply pressure to get Florida and to call a special session to start banning these mask mandates in schools, to reopen schools, all the, you know, to give some protections from some vaccine protections and things like that. There's a a lawyer, his name is Jeff Childers, and he started a huge I want to call it a blog. I think it started off as a Facebook page and then he's turned it into like a sub stack and a blog and he's got a, a big readership. I don't know. Are you familiar with coffee and COVID with Jeff Childers? A little bit. Yeah. So what he did because he had a, the, the readership to do so is he mobilized his readers and into what he called the five a day army. And so basically you would, if you signed up, you would get a text almost every day with five politicians to call to target about here's what I want to pass. I want to, you know, we need a special session. We need these, you know, and so they would just get bombarded with calls and, and you did. And because you were all, you know, is all mobilized. Hey, we're going to do these five today. It wasn't just call whoever you feel like, call your local representative. And that was, we squeaky wheeled that special session into existence and, got them to pass this legislation. So kind of to your point, when it is targeted and there is an action item, a direct action item to go, you know, then that can make all the difference versus just either it's, you know, a call to action. It's even more specific, not just, hey, call your politician and demand a mass. They resend the mass mandate. No, we're calling these five. You can call them. Here's their email address. Here's their, their phone number. And, you know, it's very specific. You make it easy because that's one of the barriers that people, I think, for activism go to is like, you know, it's, you know, the hurdles, even though it's not a big hurdle to actually look up your politician or your representative and find their phone number. But just that can mm -hmm. be a hurdle to action. So when you make it easy, hey, here's the phone number, here's the email address, all delivered right to you in a text message, then that made taking action super easy. So, you know, I mean that if you haven't, I mean, I know you probably obviously know the idea, but like I thought that was super effective. And I've actually been disappointed that we haven't utilized that since for other certain 
crucial legislative efforts that we've in the medical freedom community have been trying to get passed. I was like, well, why aren't we going to mobilize the five a day army again? And I thought that was really an effective, one of the most effective, highest ROI campaigns, Mm -hmm. grassroots campaigns I've ever seen. Yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. And you could tell that the person knows what they're doing because it doesn't take like some weird, like, you know, a beautiful mind type algorithm to just say, okay, what are we doing? You know, we're, who are we targeting and what, what's the message? And sometimes that's enough to dissuade people from action. But when you make it as simple as that, it's not that grassroots is like some like weird complex thing. It's just that it involves work and most people are lazy. Um, if you can just focus that energy, you can get a lot done and you can get a lot done with a little bit. Like people think that, it, oh, once I can raise a couple hundred thousand, set up an organization, hire some staff, I'll do that. You're working backwards. What you need to do is you need to find a handful of people that are willing to make it work. I'd say that probably on average for our phone banks, we probably get somewhere between 30 to 50 people that make calls throughout the day. And that's enough to scare the living bejesus out of politicians. If people realize that a small room, two pizzas and some sodas in a room where you and your friends gather three, four, five people will terrify, terrify politicians. Like that is enough. And people don't realize that that's enough. And so they never get involved. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. One of the presenters at uh, the Tom School of Life, I'm part of Tom School of Life, and um, he holds a, a live gathering once or twice a year, and he'll have people present and in, in more in-depth information. And so one of the presenters at, at the last event was a, a girl named Allie Rock, and she said how to, her pre- presentation was about how to win, how to fight back and win in a blue state, because she's in Maryland. And she effectively mobilized her, just her little county, I don't know if it's little, but to fight back against these mass mandates and everything. And so some of the, some of the things that she was talking about, she's like, well, if you think of it like a game, you know, activism as a game. So, you know, like, Hey, those likes and retweets and stuff. Well, that might be like, do you want to add a point value to it or ascribe a point value to it? That might be like a quarter of a point. Okay. It doesn't get no ROI, but it's very little. Okay. So then let's bump that up. Maybe an email, you might get five points. Okay. A phone call. That's a 10 point activity showing up in person to their office with, especially if you've got like two or three other people with you, that's like a 50 point activity right there. This is, if you're, if you're trying to game and run up the score on the game, that's how you do it is through these actions, you know, and, and it doesn't take much. You don't need 500 people to show up at your at your local representative's office, five will do it in a lot of cases. I mean, maybe not like just a one-time off, but not not a one-off visit. But like, if you do that every so, you know, and keep doing that, that's all it takes. You don't, it's kind of that, that, that uh, quote, it doesn't take a majority to prevail, just a small, irate, tireless minority. And that's kind of what we're trying to, trying to become, trying to strong will into existence. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And um, what's funny is, is I have that like, literally right here. Yeah. Uh, so as you're saying, it, my eyes fell on that as you're reading it. Uh, but the thing that I thought about here is that you, you can find ways to like, it, it makes sense here, the, the, the story I'm thinking about it is to like, kind of hijack your psychology, hijack your biology. And like, here's an example I give to people. And when they hear it, they go, uh, gross. And that's exactly the point is there's ways to hijack um, to create incentives or to create disincentives. Like, for example, imagine you're on a plane, you've got a sweet tooth and they're handing out brownies. Now, that's a death sentence for you because, you know, you really want it. You shouldn't have it. 
But imagine instead if you opened up a packet of mayonnaise, spread it all on top of that brownie. That would just be gross. But that's yeah. a way to hijack your biology, hijack your psychology to where something was so great and immediately diminished. You wouldn't think about touching it. In the same way, creating incentives like this game of points. Yeah, that just makes sense. And I think we should apply that to, to kind of like use psychology to kind of incentivize people to really start to to give them incentive to want to do this. And then I think after that, the, once the tree starts to bear good fruit, that becomes itself its own incentive because there's fruit. Right. Yeah. So when you... Going back to, I like how we're kind of interspersing this with the the defend the guard. We're kind of talking about political activism in general, but you know the defend the guard. And um, you mentioned before, like at least in I can't remember which state, maybe it was uh, Montana, where it passed out a committee, but then it was kind of killed by the Democrats. This doesn't seem like this should be a partisan issue, is it? Is are you noticing more pushback from one side than the other, and why? The most votes we've ever gotten for Defend the Guard was in New Hampshire. There's 400 members. There was 22 Democrats that voted for it. So I want to thank John Wheeler and Ellen Reed and those people that voted for it. But overwhelmingly, this is a Republican bill. It doesn't have to be this way. I'm just saying that that's the reality. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, because again, well, the, the myth, of course, is that, that liberals or Democrats, at least in the early 2000s, of course, was that the, the left is anti-war, which is, of course, bullshit. No, it's not. But, uh, right, yeah, we know that. <laughs> but it doesn't, again, why, why would the left not champion this cause? What is they, the- cut off, they cut off their nose to spite their face, especially if it meant that the Republicans could win. There's no sense of loyalty to do the right thing. There's a sort of godlessness that comes with this politics that it doesn't matter. They don't see this as a, they don't see this as anything other than I'm just not going to let my opponent get a victory, even if it screws the people. So that's why I say it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. Right. I guess it's kind of like cultish behavior. You know, they always circle the wagons, the liberals, you know, circle the wagons. They never let, they never hang one of their own out to dry. And because we, I say we loosely in terms of like more conservative, right wing, libertarian types, we tend to stick to principles. Well, we will go against our party or buck our own party because we're, we have a stronger adherence to principles than we do to the party. Whereas the left, I I mean, I've touched on this numerous times in my show and I say this non-hyperbolically and you could say this politically or culturally, but it is a cult. And yeah. it's a mind virus, as, as Elon Musk likes to put it, the, the leftist, the woke mind virus, whatever's going on. I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's a sight to behold. And it's like, that's why we're all like, I don't know what world we're living in. Because like you said, just some of these things, whether it's with this defend the guard issue or particularly like these cultural issues where like people are transing their kids and stuff. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? You know, and you would think that this would be a fringe minority and, and it, it is yeah. a minority, but it's not as fringe as you think they are mainstreaming this. And in fact, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent on a rant, you know, just mm-hmm. in, in Scotland today um, in Scotland. Now, now it's not just like, again, and this is the difference where it's not grassroots what they're doing. This is some sort of top down, you know, edict from above, you know, whoever that is, I don't know, but this is top down. Nobody was clamoring for, you know, gender mutilation rights for their kids up until 
however long ago, but in the Scotland, they just passed legislation where a parent can be jailed for seven years if they don't affirm their child's gender identity. So it's it's not grassroots and, and it's being codified into law under penalty of law. That's where we're going is that they, they are putting us to a violent conflict because that's the only way they're using the barrel of their gun the you know the invisible gun in the room through the force of law and the only way we're gonna win is either if we can talk some sense into them which is unlikely or we're gonna have to fight our way through it and i hate to say that yeah and it's weird to think about what fight it is that we're gonna have to get through what kind of fight that's terrifying too because i think that there's nothing more horrible than what they're doing to children Mm -hmm. um i think that the millstone theory or the millstone application is perfectly fine with me if you're willing to mess with children. You know what I mean? Right. And that's 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 fine. And if ever, and if, if you want more proof of what we were talking about previously, is just realize, okay, how many people, and we'll give you a, a break off a portion of it that would say, you know, they know the emperor has no clothes, but there's some people that are seriously convicted right now that will not say a word about this. And this is demonic. I mean, what they're doing with children what they're and this isn't something new this is you know we can look back through history and find that they're doing similar things you know like they used to offer up the the children up to moloch as a sacrifice for greater resources in the future jezebel had eunuchs men would be neutered all the time so this idea that this is coming out of nowhere this is rich there's rich history behind this stuff this is this is what i believe is actual evil and if this doesn't convict your heart, I don't know what will. And if you can't mobilize for this, I don't know what you can mobilize for. Because I'd say, like, you know, once we're talking about something as evil as this, I, I just don't know how this how this doesn't twist your heart and just say, you got to do something, man. Well, you know, the mantra now is that people wouldn't know evil if it was staring them in the face. I mean, like, right. it's all around us. It is plain. They are not hiding it whatsoever. And yet still so many people either they refuse to see it or they're going along with it. I I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. I'm like, well, if, if forcing your kid to forego puberty and chop off perfectly functioning body parts isn't evil, then what is your definition of evil? If forcing children into sexual deviant behavior, like, you know, grooming, so to speak, isn't evil. Like, you know, obviously they, they aren't quite there yet, but they're definitely trying to blur the lines of consent and age of consent. And that's the slippery slope we're going down right now, which is they want kids to be able to consent to sexual relations. That's disgusting. So if that's not your line, what's your line? What is evil? You define it for me because if that isn't it, I don't know what it is. I don't think that once the locusts are done destroying a field that they look out onto the next field and go, we probably shouldn't destroy that one either. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're, they're whole games. And look, I'm not here to shill for Republicans. You know, obviously, I, you know, I, I support Republicans, but that's like, you know, that expression of like, not every, not every Republican has an American flag, but everybody who owns an American flag is a Republican. The good, the good ones are Republican. That's just how it is. Sorry. Yep. That's yeah. true. You don't right. like it, tough. And you know that that is where it is. But I mean, they're. It just seems like they're not good on anything anymore. And I don't know that they ever were. And so Orrin McIntyre has this really good thing, especially in reference to free speech. He's like, "How foolish of you to think that!" Like in reference to free speech, he says, "How foolish 
was it for people on the right to assume that they would ever leave that gun out on the battlefield once they were done with it? And so I don't even believe that the civil liberties that they ran on were actually issues that they truly cared about. I just see them as constantly using people, right, as a puppets for power. Yes. And that, I believe, is the ultimate guiding principle of the Democrats and of people on the left is that they want power. And now this will fall into two camps. There's always the people up at the top of the hierarchy that understand that this is about power. And there's other people that are just useful idiots. So that doesn't mean that everybody's nefarious or malicious. I just think that they're either dumb or ignorant. So, but but ultimately, the vehicle that is the people on the left, the Democrats, is it is it, the guiding principle is power. It is not compassion. It is not sharing. I, I truly believe that they are truly here to just sow chaos. Right. Yeah. Agents of death and destruction. And I was literally just thinking about this earlier because. I was thinking about hypocrisy. And that's me personally. Like, I can't stand hypocrisy, whether it's personally, like, I try and live and act as closely as I can in accordance with my principles and biblical principles and everything. But, you know, and so we used to, like, especially in our Facebook warrior days, you know, point out all the hypocrisy of the left. Oh, look at them, you know, look at that. They aren't doing that. And then it took us a while, it took us a long while. Before we figured out, oh, this is why they don't care, because to them, it's not about the principle. And so they will, they'll take a different opinion five minutes after they just gave the other one, if it means that it's going to be politically advantageous for them. So it took us a long time to figure out they don't care about principles. They don't care about hypocrisy. They are happy to wear that badge with pride, because for them, their guiding principle is power. Right, right. It's true. And I wish that, and here's the thing is like, good on you, because I don't believe that that's a mainstream view. I think it's becoming more mainstream among people on the right that that is the reality. It's like, well, I'm pointing out the hypocrisy. Why are they still doing It's like, that was never the point, my guy. You got you got hoodwinked into thinking that they were principled or that it was like, you're just, you're, you're the useful idiot in this sense. If you still believe that, you know, all of a sudden they would care about hypocrisy. Yeah. So good on you for at least picking that up because, well, I feel like once that, once we get to that top of that hill, it's going to be a lot easier for people moving forward, just understanding. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's playing the wrong game. Yeah. So is this, um, you know, again, going back to defend, I like this. We're just going back and forth, back and forth. You know, defend the guard. Can, can you talk to me about how your own personal experience as a Army Ranger kind of informed your, shaped your opinion about keeping the troops home and why you think this is necessary? Yeah, I mean, one, you just got to see it in real life, right? So just realize, oh, I might be the baddie. Uh, I think it's as simple as that. I think that there's a lot of people in right now that have a big, uh, I don't want to say the libertarian, like big, you know, but but they have a a libertarian, not streak in like this Ronald Reagan type, but there really is a value because one, they've worked for the military, they've worked for the government, they seem not just how wasteful it is, but how stupid it is of what they're doing over there. And if they can't get the one thing that they thought was like they're because a lot of these people, <clears throat> what I think exists in a lot of these people that are will is I think there are honorable values that exist within the veteran and military community. There's a lot of people that truly did this selflessly, only to realize once that fail had been ripped off, this was a lie. And so you're going to get a lot of people that agree with you 
um, on this. And I think that that's where we have a lot of commonality and why I think you'll see a big community that might <clears throat> come a lot easier, although, you know, I don't want to generalize, well, I'll generalize, but it's, it's not, you know, 100% accurate. I truly believe that a large swath of the veteran community, once this is explained to, and they've had time to process are the ones that would be most in favor of it. And just like think of a random example is like who was Ron Paul, you know, or who the military contributions during the 2012 cycle, who was the large, who was the benefactor of all of those donations? Mm -hmm. You'd think it would be like, no, no, no. It's like, you know, it, no, it's Ron. So yep. it's like, yeah, that's kind of like my evidence to it. It's like, there is a large community there that there, there's a great awakening or a potential for a great awakening in that. And that's what I'd say. It's just, but that doesn't mean that I had it right when I was doing it either. Cause you know, I still had my dumb ideas. Right. Well, when you, when you were active duty, well, when did you have your aha moment? Was it while you were still in or was it after? I think it's all just a trickle until, until you finally just hear it. And then it just makes sense. I would say that, yeah, Ron, you know, did that, but that didn't mean that it took different moments throughout the process to be like, oh, because it's a hard pill to swallow, right? You're the yeah. bad guy. Right. You don't want to think that something you did out of selflessness, out of a desire. You know, it's like uh, the, the Peterson. I like the way that he plays with this sort of like archetype of you want to be the one that's slaying the dragon. It's a very hard reality and not only a red pill, but a dark black pill to swallow when you realize you were fighting on behalf of the dragon. And so it's going to take a moment to process that. But for some people, they have to do that. And I think that's a, a good way of putting it too for for again what's happening with the somewhat to an extent with the leftists because they couch their language and their ideas and their um, stated goals in such noble terms, you know, like we want to end racism and we want equality. And so how can you how dare you oppose equality and how what you are racist? You are you're for racism and all these phobias and everything because they couch their slippery language in noble sounding lofty goals. And that mean that 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 enables people to join them. Well, of course, I'm not a racist. Of course, I want equality. Of course, I want this. And then it, it's it's very poisonous. It's very insidious because people don't understand what actually they're doing, what the actual effects of what they are advocating for are having or will have, you know, it's like that Bastia, you know, economics in one lesson, they can't visualize the downstream effects of what's happening or the seen and the unseen where, Hey, I can yeah. see, you know, I can see this, but if we let's play this out to its logical con conclusion, but people can't see more than one step in advance, I guess. Most people can't. So they just they just think I'm doing the right thing. And unfortunately, because it is a cult, they're very, I won't say very few, it's more and more, but it is harder for them to leave, I guess, and look at themselves and understand, oh, shoot, I, I was the monster I was pretending to fight. Yeah, uh, I think the best responses to this are just, I think it works in two parts. One is just tell them, and to tell other people as well is it's almost like a weird little it's like that movie with the aliens and then all of a sudden they're like rock music was poison and their head starts exploding i felt that telling them i don't have to take you at face value to a lefty or to somebody that just maybe just doesn't understand it is don't take them at face value 
well, no one at face value because one, it asks them to look past, it asks them to get past a cursory understanding, which is always going to be good. But then two, provide examples that just immediately make sense. And I would say it's like a defend the guard thing. As soon as I explain it, they just get it. And so you go, what do you mean by don't take people at face value? Okay. <clears throat> what if I told you you weren't a patriot if you, if you didn't support the Patriot Act? Or that if you didn't support the CARES Act, that all of a sudden you just didn't care about people. Or let me just say this to you, Mr. Lefty. What do you have against boys that are just proud? If we're to take people at face value, that would I could logically get, according to you, I would get to that position where you, Mr. Lefty, would have to say, well, these boys are just filled with pride. Why should I hate them? Or does it, or does it stand to reason that there's maybe more than that that you might disagree with? So you can't just couch it in your terms and I have to accept it. In fact, if I take it as a default that I shouldn't accept it until you can provide the evidence for it, I'm better off. Yeah. The defend the guard. And I think the education component of it, because um, I think a lot of people probably don't even know what's being done to or with our national guard. I mean, you hear national guard and at least in my mind, I think, Hey, national, you know, natural disasters, disaster relief, maybe riot control or crowd control. And you don't actually, even a lot of people probably don't even know that these national guardsmen are being sent off into foreign territories under active duty combat. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so the National Guard's motto is always ready, always there. And that's the sad part is they're talking out of both sides of their mouth when they use that. Because instead of, you know, taking care of some California fires, the Texas freeze, um, any sort of natural disaster, which is what they were called to do, right? That was if they are to exist, that is their purpose. And not only that, but as far as on the global stage, they were never supposed to be this type of fighting force. Um, if you look at it, the statistics have it that during the height of the occupation, 45% of all people there were National Guardsmen, and they were also 18% of the casualties on the ground. So it's just, it's unfair. It's not right <clears throat> to do this to them. It's not their role. They shouldn't be doing this. This wasn't their purpose. If they wanted that to be their purpose, they should have joined the Federal Reserve or the, the excuse me, Army Reserve. Mm -hmm. Or... Uh, <clears throat> or join the, the active duty army or, you know, military. Um, the role of the National Guard was to protect those those geographical constraints that they call a state. Right. And do you think, are they open about this? Is this more like known now? Or do you think these people are getting recruited under false pretenses? Like, hey, and again, out of using their selflessness against them, like, yeah, sure, I want to help my state and do this. Or are they telling them, yeah. no, you're going to get deployed? No, I, I think it's generally under false pretenses because we just look at the numbers and the numbers are down. People are not signing up to these endless wars. You know, they're, they're, the numbers for recruitment are dipping drastically and there's nothing that they can do to stop it. And it's like, well, maybe people don't want to sign up for this nonsense if they feel like they're just, you know, signing up and they'll be used for your political will and that their blood and treasure means nothing to you. So people are hesitant to want to sign up. And so that means that in order to do that, there has to be a massive role here for deception. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most, what do you think are some of the most effective arguments for, especially, I guess, against maybe neocons, the tr what we call neocons now, who maybe say peace through strength or still <clears> adhere <throat> to 
that dogma that we need a strong military force and rah rah America. And have you had success in kind of turning them around to your view? Um, it all it all depends. Um, and so I I kind of so one my first is I just go back to I don't have to take them at face value. So then my question would just be prove it, and then all of a sudden they would be sitting there trying to juggle and twist like reality to try to like present this thing that doesn't exist and has never been proven. Like, well, without it, we'll be you'll we'll be destabilized and we'll be less safe and we'll be all this. Okay, show me one example of where that has has manifested itself into anything resembling your worldview show me like just give me a receipt just one i just asked for one so that's that's immediately just gone as far as convincing them i don't think that that's always my purpose my purpose is to put not that people can't change but to understand where my fights are my fights start for most of what I do, my fights are to mobilize the people that I can mobilize to move the people I can move and the ones that can move easiest. Because if I, it's like saying this, <clears throat> I need to win votes. I need to move people to action. Do I call Liz Cheney's house and convince her that she should get right? Or do I first call, you know, am I going to call Haley first and say, hey, I need your help. Or let's say you were in office. I need your vote. Like, who would I rather be calling? And so my focus is not to talk to everybody. That would be crazy. My focus is to find out what I can do with the le with assessing the, the maximum amount of resources that I have, whether that be money, knowledge, people, and then figuring out what I can do with that and how to maximize that. And I'm not maximizing my utility if I'm calling Liz Cheney, and if, as opposed to if I was calling your house or your vote, or to say, I need your help. Yeah. So you're doing a, a political training tonight with what, who the LP, some, an LP chapter. Yeah. 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 Can you tell and me I, a little bit about that? What that will entail? Yeah. I just, just pretty much just calling them out there. I love, you know, the people in the LP there's, there's really good people. There's also a lot of LARPing. And so what I say in general, and this is not reflective of everybody, but they have, it's like saying they have a gangrenous arm and we're not going to call it out is that there is the problem with a lot of, especially at the state levels here. And, you know, just in general with the big L's I have, and I say this with love is that they are a book club masquerading as a political party. They are not serious. Um, nothing in there. They're not compelled to action. And I don't know, uh, but nothing in what they do tells me that they take this seriously. Because if I said, I need your help, this is a desperate fight. And the lack of response from them, not, I don't want to say the party. I want to say members of the party because there's really good people. In fact, I don't think they'd ask me to come talk if they thought that I, in my heart, I felt that, you know, the libertarian party was this cancer thing. I do not think that at all. I think there are many people within this that are, fancying themselves as some sort of dragon slayer when really they're just a dungeons and dragons nerd they're like this is a larp this is a fraud this is a book club this isn't a political party and you have to kind of wake that up and yet wake them up to the reality is like you're not the hero you thought you are in fact you're complacent in watching a lot of this do this and what i would say at least is is i want to i don't know but i think personally for me is to get this perspective out there there's no way that I could do what I do if I didn't like see God's fingerprint on what I was doing. And I truly believe that. I believe that we're trying to save lives. I really do. 
I don't see that in the retweets. I don't see that in the, the things. I, I see that in, like, I really, truly, and this is why I love Lee so much and you had him on. And let me just give, like, 30 seconds about Lee. He's one of those people that are genuine. He still calls me. He calls any of the representatives that I'm dealing with. He says, hey, who needs to get their flowers? I'll say, hey, you know what? Call up Tom and and uh, and Matt and Mike over in New Hampshire. They did great. They fought like hell. You know, they were super awesome. Even, you know, this, this gal over here, she was super great during the fight. You know, maybe talk to these people. They could use it. And he's happy to spend his time to talk to other other representatives to say, hey, how can I do it? And you know what that reminded me of was kind of like Walter Jones after he woke up. You know, he went from being Mr. Freedom Fries to he personally wrote letters to every single family of who had a deceased son or daughter as a consequence of the war. Is Lee reminds me of a person who's sincere. And I think that there is a real sincerity to doing work like this because we're trying to save lives and we're treating it with the seriousness that it deserves. And I don't think that enough people inside of the LP or in any political party, to be perfectly honest, like Democrats, like I said, cut their nose off to spike their face. So there's a demoniac in, in that response within itself. But the people that tell me that they're anti-war, that they want to make changes, can't be, can't be compelled to give me 30 minutes of their time throughout a day. But they still want me to believe that they're serious. And so that's why it's called Get Serious, because the little implicit word started with the F. So that's the whole point of this is because I'm not going to teach you grassroots tonight on everything. I'm not going to teach you how to make an effect. If you want to do that, you can always sign up for our classes that we do. And that's a nine to five class. That's a whole day of where you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. That's not going to happen over this one hour window. But what it might do is I just want to hopefully you convict, you get convicted. Your heart gets convicted. It's not a condemnation. But it is a call to wake up. And so that's what this class will be about tonight, is that I'm not going to make you into a rock star over Zoom. But I can at least compel you to say, maybe I haven't been doing this right. Maybe I'm a little bit insincere. Maybe I'm a little bit fraudulent in my claims that I you know, say I care about. And so that's the reality is we have to just, and we all do this. We all need a big piece of humble pie, myself included many times. It's just like, hey, where are we? And we all need that. And so that's what tonight is going to be about is you. And again, the realities of you can't change the world if you can't pay the rent. You, if you don't show up, you know, the ones who win, the, the ones who do. So and the generals, they show up. The Pentagon, they show up. And so if you're not showing up and also you're like, so you have an organization that won't, that can't pay the rent. These lights are out. That doesn't show up to work and somehow they think they're going to change the world what they're just going to meme harder so i don't i don't so that's going to essentially what it's going to be about it is i just want to wake up as many people as i can so in, in a sense what i would say is this is my call to the remnant hoping that they show up yeah that's right so and are the people are you speaking to a specific chapter or is it just anybody in the lp who wants to be involved up. yeah 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 so, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm winding it down, but I've got just a couple more questions, you know, whether it's libertarians in general, big L libertarians or liberty activists, you know, well, let's, let's, uh, let's look at the libertarian party. Cause you're going to kind of try and give them their wake up call. What are they not doing or what are they doing or not doing 
right now that you think they should be doing? So like, like, what are they doing? Are they just having social club meetings? How are they not being effective? Like, what do you think is going on? Yeah. And so I don't want to make claims about everybody, but what I will say as a general diagnosis that I think, I don't think it would hurt them to hear this is that their biggest claim, the biggest way that they can have an impact right now. I, and I don't disagree with them going for local races and all this stuff. And all. I think that that's, there's a place for that. But if you don't triage this or give it, you know, there needs to be something like you need to have a, a, a percentage of what you're going to devote to this. And it can't be extraordinarily to this idea of elections. I just do not think that right now their biggest focus should be elections. Nor do I think that currently at the, at the form in which the LP is in, they think that their biggest focus should be elections. The problem that they have is that where they are going to be the best at is one going to be messaging. They're beholden to nobody, right? And then two is in the ability to mobilize. And so if you have an organization that not necessarily, you know, I, I say libertarians have a messaging problem and a mobilization problem and also a fundraising problem. But if they have to get the messaging down, okay, great. But also they have to be able to show that they can take scalps. Because if you're going to move a politician by fear, you know, of this mass of angry voters that they fear, you have to be able to show up. And if you don't show up, and if your whole world just revolves around making pretend, right, um, it, it's essentially, you're just essentially a modern day civil war reenactment guy. You're just living out a fantasy and it, it's not really doing much and it's not benefiting everybody. And this, this whole celebritarian thing, I hate it because to me, the people that matter the most are the ones that don't get their flowers. There's a lot of people right now that are walking that there's people right now today that will spend 10 hours walking in the snow, knocking on doors, making phone calls, being uncomfortable, maybe not eating so that they can make up for maybe let's say this lack of weather or something like that. Who's tired? is going to blow out today on some corner and they're going to have to figure out how to do this. And maybe they're not making a lot of money doing this, but they're out there knocking doors in the dead of winter. There are hundreds of, you know, not thousands of these people that are out there doing this because it's something that they care about, even though it's, it might not even be fiscally responsible for them to be doing this. It's just because they care. And then at the other end of the spectrum are these people that are making pretend that they're holier than now. Not even realizing that there are armies of people that have much more credentials than there ever have. And it doesn't matter how how many retweets they get or how many likes they get. There are armies of people who have much more credibility than they do. And they just need to have they need to take that red pill and realize that you're kind of a bullshit artist. That's that I think is, is probably the, the biggest symptom is is people are gonna have to get over that is because I don't think they've ever seen what it's like. I, I would just say this, how many times have you, the viewer, anybody, whatever, how many times have you slept in the back of your car to get to the next place? Like I call it the sleeping in the car test. How many times have you slept in the back of your car to go fight for liberty? If the answer is zero, maybe like pull the reins back and realize it doesn't really matter how many retweets I have, huh? There might be, there might be a lack of sincerity with the words that I'm saying. There's, there's no, there's no receipts. There's no evidence. There's no action to show you 
that actually care about this. I mean, in essence, right, if you just have, if you just hold the same beliefs, you know what, there's a lot of Republicans, and now would you say this to libertarians, there's a lot of Republicans and maybe some Democrats that in their hearts believe all the things that you say you believe in. I mean, how many, how many Republicans say God, constitution, government, all this, stuff, you know, limited government, constitution, gun rights, and God. Okay, but they betray all of those principles. So uh, at the same time, you say you care about all these things, but you don't do anything for it. Then you're essentially just an empty slogan. You're the lettuce of activism. There's nothing to it. So, you know, I guess then if you think that maybe running candidates isn't the best ROI, are no. you advocating maybe that the LP applies its political pressure and force to maybe force the right to hold true to their principles or force them to the right? Or what does, yeah. yeah, so like maybe using the libertarian to force the right for Republicans to be more Republican or more libertarian, you think that's a better return on investment? You know, we yeah, should be a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Especially big L's here, because if I'm going to say if you're a small L, then you already, you know, then take over that, that thing. And I don't want to hear any big L say, well, we can't, what well, you not believe in takeovers anymore. So that's what I would just retort back to them. Yeah, 100%. It, your, your job is to be the true north, right? Like Massey said once in an interview, you are true north. That means your message has to be on point and that your job is to mobilize people to scare politicians into doing the right thing on accident. They're going to accidentally do the right thing because you put the fear of God in them. And that is your biggest, pr that is where you can have the most influence. I'm not saying don't run for office or do any of those things, but it is a big mistake to put more effort behind that than it is and realizing what you can do too with the amount with the with the amount of people that you have if even a fraction of those people got mobilized and you started watching the things that you care about manifest itself you were it, this isn't a contest if the lp applied itself through grassroots they would get things accomplished where if the LP spent every single dollar that they had into elections, there's no guarantee that there's any wins on that. But I guarantee that if they put their effort into grassroots, they that tree will bear fruit. Right. And I have no problem saying, prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. If you put, if, let, let's just say this, if you put 100% of your money into grassroots, do, do, does anybody here, on just like a basic intellectual guttural feeling, does anybody think that that tree would bear fruit? Take the opposite. Take 100%, throw it into elections. What is the likelihood that one person would get elected? Well, I like, you know, a few years ago, and maybe they are still doing that, but that's YAL, Young Americans for Liberty, they did have that as kind of one of their strategies was like, hey, let's focus on the low hanging fruit, like w elections that are winnable where, yeah, of course, like you said, if we, if we took every amount, every dollar we had and tried to run a libertarian candidate, it ain't going to happen for president. I mean, you know, like like that's that's not in even for Congress or Senate, probably not going to happen. But what about these low hanging fruit? What about the, the state reps or the county commissioners or the, you know, mosquito yeah. control or something? I mean, who knows? But where, hey, it's not a, a huge position, but it shouldn't, you know, it's an open seat. There's no competition. And I think that they did have some success with that, if, I, if I'm they had mistaken. Massive, they yeah. Had massive success. I remember when this program was started, 
Um, I was one of the first election directors on this program when it first got kicked off. And their whole goal was one day we're going to get to 250. That day came. They got it. They did. And there was a, a serious, they gained a lot of serious credibility. They gained in a lot of momentum in the sense that they were kind of like a wacky, like, you know, college campus, we're going to educate people. And what that led to is a lot of people that would, you know, it's good to focus on campus. It's good to educate. I'm not saying that doesn't matter. But when they started to go for scalps, when they started to put their guys in charge, that had massive effects. Yeah. Massive. So and, you don't think that that would be a strategy that the LP should focus on? Or uh, maybe uh, maybe the YAL is doing that strategy. Maybe the LP focuses on something like the mobilization. Sure. So one, to that in general, yes. Two, also, okay, but YAL was running Republicans. The Libertarian Party, by default, is going to be running Libertarians. And right. so maybe on a more local level, maybe on a greater level that's just a messaging campaign um, but i don't think that they would i wouldn't recommend them, and nor do i think that they think that or have they said anything recently that makes me think that they they're thinking oh we should run state rep candidates like that would be foolish and i i i know that they don't believe that but that doesn't mean that they can't do nonpartisan races you know county commissioner all this stuff mm-hmm. like this weird stuff where there's no party affiliation required they do really well and it would suit them to focus on that until they could grow their credibility. But right now, where they can make the most, if they just said tomorrow, they, they just said, that's it. We're changing up our thing. We're focusing on grassroots. We're going to get serious. Everything changes within them. If they said tomorrow, we are not, we are not holding up these people who get a thousand retweets. Instead, what we're going to hold as, as our core example of what a true, li- like if, if they got to make a second atom for the Libertarian Party and instead they put the activists and they focused on highlighting them and making them the people that they salute, the ones who get the most reverence rather than the Celebritarians or to any sort of other thing. And they just said, this is what we care about. The people that actually go sacrifice, they put their, they've, you know, they've got their pound of flesh in this in they fought for these ideas these are the people that we value this is what we value is people that fight if they changed that they would they would be terrified and i wouldn't and i wouldn't doubt it that you know political parties might start to do this or do that or or whatever but let me give you an example of what i mean is i was here in texas at an event and uh Mays middleton was threatening to take them off the ballot or not take them off the ballot but raise the level of uh, a percentage that, that they would have to get on to get on the ballot and all of this stuff. And when I asked them, I said, what are you doing about it? Well, the people here in Texas initially just looked at me dumbfounded. Well, I don't know what, you know, what am I going to do? I was like, have you, you know, have you started to make calls? Are you going to go knock doors? Are you going to go get him unelected? Are you going to put some fear of God in any of these people? Well, I don't really have time for, you know, to do that. And I can't really make calls or I can't do it. And so my question is, if your own survival for your own party is on the line and you're not willing to show up for your own death sentence, right? you're saying they're trying to remove us. They want to get rid of us as a party and you're not willing to show up. That if, if that changed, if they were willing to say, you know, it's like people like I've seen people go like, you know, like in New Hampshire, like 
you know, what point is New Hampshire finally going to be free? And my answer is the same. It's kind of similar. It's like when you're willing to die for it, right? Live free or die. When that becomes like you want to live out your motto, you believe that motto. When you're willing to do that part and you just don't expect the live free part, but you're willing to die for it, that's when things change. And that's that's where I feel like the LP is going to grow the most is when that, that little click happens. And not the people at, at the top. I, I'd say that a lot of them are, they, they understand that. It's that they have to get down to the regular Joe that's a member of the LP and kind of go, we need to restructure what it is that we value. And what has to be valued the most is our grassroots people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, uh, Isabel Sam, she I had her on the show as a as a guest a few episodes back, and uh, I told you about her. She's the uh, founder of the Florida Freedom Family, and I'm not sure if she's currently LP, Big L LP, or I know she was definitely, but she is a freedom fighter. She is she wants to engage in combative politics, and so they're up there today. I, I showed you them doing their legislative days. Um, the legislative session just started here in Florida, and part of their one sheet they've got like four four objectives and one of them is to defend the guard and i don't i don't think it's realistic to think we're going to get something past this session but we're at least starting to identify put this on people's radar say there is an appetite for this who can be our you know our sponsor who, who's going to be our go-to person that's going to introduce this bill so we're, we're starting a step here in florida to to bring that um to fruition um and i of course will you know keep you abreast of what's going on and, and keep your, um, get your insight about how we can better uh, get that moving in Florida. But um, I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. Um, the name of the show is what can we do? So you can answer this however you want, but you know, we've got a lot of big issues facing the country and the world at large. What can we, the grassroots, the average citizen, what can we do to fight back? In a general sense, just get involved and don't, don't try to, don't get analysis paralysis, just get involved. You'll figure out the steps. You might be dumb and you might go out there and just do some things that aren't productive, maybe counterproductive, but just get involved and get informed, but just first, just get involved and don't think that you have to get it right to then get involved. Get involved. You'll figure out the process. You're going to screw it up no matter what. So you might as well at least get start. Start learning and then refine your your skills rather than waiting forever and never having skills to refine. So just as dumb as you might think it is, just go out there and do. Get uncomfortable. Talk to someone. Ask someone to help you out. What can I do? And and find a way to do that. Yeah. And that's what my website, Liberty Alliance Network, is uh, about. So there are there's a directory on there of groups and organizations that state and nationally that are active and engaged. And so if you don't want to be the one to form it yourself and start from scratch, join with somebody else who's already got, you know, some something going. Um, you don't have to be the CEO. You can be a, a grunt in the field just helping out. And that's just as important. So Diego, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Sure. Again, everything, if you can't pay the rent, and you can't, you know, and you're not going to change the world. So I'd say go to 107club.com. That's all spelled out. Make a donation to us because we are a grassroots org. This is how we get by. To learn more about this, go to bringertroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. 
From there, you can sign up to host a political leadership school. You can learn more about our organization. You can learn more about our main project, Defend the Guard, and you can sign up for phone banks. You can do all that stuff. Finally, um, if you email me, um, Diego at bringourtroopshome.net. So it is different than the website, but that is the email address. I promise that if you reach out, I will work with you. What I say about my phone is also true about my email, is that my emails and my phone stay on until I work myself out of a job. So you're free to contact me. Perfect. And I'll list all these resources on the show notes page, libertyalliancenetwork.com slash what can we do and just scroll down and look for this episode. But Diego, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate um, you being a man of action and putting your money where your mouth is and you know, doing what you believe is God's calling for you. You're out there, you're trying to save lives because you value human life. And I think all of us on the right, we, or whatever, you know, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it these days, team reality, you know, that's where, that's where it is that these are the stakes these days, sadly, but this is where it's at. Life is on the line and um, we can't have people sitting on the sidelines anymore. This is a life and death high stakes game. And Diego, you're out there doing it, showing people how it's done. And I really appreciate that. You're welcome. All right. Take care, Diego. Bye.